I want to remind us our mission. Like I say this every single week, our mission, we're about helping people find and follow Jesus. We want everybody to know Jesus as their Savior and Lord, live their life for him because he's the creator, God, uh, Savior of all. And so with that being said, we are going to continue in our series. We're calling this series, I Am Coming Soon, the book of Revelation. So if you've ever wondered what's Revelation about, it's about how Jesus is coming back. He's the great I am and he is coming back. And so open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, verses 8, 9, 10, and 11, only four verses. That's where we're going to be at today. A sermon I'm calling Shmirna, the persecuted church. So today, is we're in the second chapter of the book of Revelation. And this book is the Apostle John's vision from Jesus. Jesus gives it to John, and John has to write it down. John is to write down what he sees and then send it to the seven churches that are in Asia Minor. Asia Minor is modern-day Turkey, and I want you to know these are real historical churches. They existed, and they existed, and they met every week or, you know, throughout the week, and they existed for the, the meeting and the worship of Jesus and the study of the Bible. Out of the seven churches, five are going to receive very harsh criticism from Jesus. Two of them did not. The two that did not are Smyrna, the church we're going to study today, and the church of Philadelphia. Okay, These two churches were the two churches that didn't bend to the pressure that the cities that they were in put on them to, to, to bend, to cave what they believed, to compromise what they believed about Jesus. These two churches, they didn't cave. At the same time, they still loved the people that didn't love Jesus. So John gets this vision. And John has to write it down. And then John had to make six copies. He had to make six copies because there's seven churches and, and send these seven letters, the copies of the book of Revelation, to these seven churches. So each church, they get a letter from Jesus. I mean, imagine that. Imagine what Jesus would say about our church if we received a letter from Jesus. So they get to read what Jesus said about them, but at the same time, they got to read what Jesus said about the other churches too. Now we need to know that the the atmosphere, the climate of Christianity at this time was one of persecution, okay? The Christians were persecuted for their beliefs, and, but there, when we read about the churches, the seven churches, there's one church that seems to be persecuted to a greater degree than the other six churches. And the question we should ask is why? Why was Smyrna persecuted to a greater degree than the other six churches? Well, the answer is because they wouldn't cave to the pressures the city put upon them to say that something that Jesus said is not okay, the city said that's okay. And since Smyrna wouldn't cave, they got persecuted. There was another church that didn't cave, and yet they weren't persecuted like Smyrna. And that's the church of Ephesus. We, stopped, we talked about them last week. Why was it the church of Ephesus, though they wouldn't cave, they, they weren't persecuted? And the reason is because they lost their first love. Smyrna, though they were not, they, they, they did lose their first love, they were not persecuted, they were persecuted to a greater degree than Ephesus. You know, like, like last week we talked about Ephesus, though they refused to compromise what they believe, Jesus commended them for that. They lost their first love and Jesus criticized them for losing their first love, meaning they lost their thrill for people getting saved. Ephesus was doctrinally sound, they were theologically accurate, but yet their heart was cold towards those who didn't love Jesus. 
And so thus, Ephesus withdrew from the world. They got into a little holy huddle and they studied the word of God and yet they had no impact for the kingdom of God. Smyrna, I believe, though they had great theology, they still loved the lost. And we're going to read how they were persecuted terribly for loving those who didn't love Jesus. And there's other churches that seemed to not be persecuted like Smyrna, but that's because they compromised with the world. These churches, they tolerated sin, and these churches became spiritually dead. There wasn't a whole lot of persecution because, in a way, the world moved into their church, set up shop, and they were in control of those churches. But there's two churches, the Church of Smyrna, the Church of Philadelphia, that stood apart from those. They were not rebuked by Jesus. Let's read what Jesus says about the church in Smyrna. Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Jesus says, And to the angel of the church of Smyrna, write, The words of the first and the last, who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say they are the Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what they say, but do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulations. Be faithful unto death, and I will grant you, I will give you the, the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. All of us here today, and really all those who have ever existed, we all experience pain in one way or another. You see, when we all experience pain, one of two things happens. Either that pain will make us better, or that pain will make us bitter. See, it's universally true in life that we all experience pain, but pain will make us either better or bitter. So pain is inevitable, but misery is optional. I find it very interesting that out of all the churches Jesus writes, he has the shortest letter to the church that is persecuted the most. And now this is just me thinking out loud, but if I was Jesus, we all should be glad that I'm not. But if I was Jesus, I would have the most to say to my persecuted church, and I would be wrong. Because Jesus has the least to say to the persecuted church. And though Jesus is very brief with the persecuted church, his words are no less impactful. The city of Smyrna, it, it lies 40 miles due north of Ephesus. And Smyrna is a port city in modern-day Turkey, and has this huge natural harbor. Because it has this huge natural harbor, it became very important for, for trade during that time. Smyrna gets its name from myrrh. Now, you're probably familiar with myrrh because of the three gifts given to Jesus at his birth, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Well, myrrh is an aromatic resin that gives off a beautiful smell when it is crushed. It's used largely like we do embalming fluid today to mask the smell of, of death. And I find it very interesting that Jesus commends the church of the crushed for being persecuted. Jesus says to the church in Smyrna, he says, I know your tribulations. The word tribulation, it's a strong word, and it's a Greek word that, that essentially means crushed. So Jesus is given a play on words here. He's, he's saying uh, that he's using the word crush like a millstone that is put on wheat to, to grind wheat or maybe a huge weight that's put on grapes to press the, the grapes down so it gives off juice. 
Jesus is saying, I know that you're being crushed by the weight that's coming at you. And when you think about what Jesus is saying, there is only one source that this persecution can come from, the church in Smyrna, and that is the people, the the non-believers in Smyrna. Again, uh, Smyrna is 40 miles north of Ephesus, and there's a road that leads between the two. Well, along that road, there was a temple to every god and goddess you could possibly think of. And inside these temples, all these different gods and goddesses, when you went there to worship these, these false gods, you practice every sort of um, unimaginable sin that you could possibly think of. And the, the believers of the church of Smyrna, they didn't condone that behavior. They didn't say that was okay. And that's why they received the persecution. This church of Smyrna was very exclusive. They say, we worship one God and his name is Jesus Christ. He's our Lord and Savior and him there, there is no other. And that's what got them into trouble. The next thing Jesus said to the church is, Myrna, he says, I know your poverty. In addition to worship all the false gods and goddesses, there was another temple that was set up for the worship of Caesar. And what you had to do, everybody was supposed to do this, you went to that temple and there would be a statue of Caesar and you took a pinch of some incense and you burned it to Caesar and you said, Caesar is God. And the Christians of Smyrna, they didn't, They didn't put up with that nonsense. They refused to participate in the worship of Caesar, and they were persecuted because of that. And because Smyrna was a port city, then they had all the ships coming in and out of that city. There were these guilds. There were unions uh, that decided who worked and who did not. And every guild or union, if you will, they had a false god or goddess that was supposed to protect the people that are working, um, putting cargo on and pulling cargo off of the ships. And this false god or goddess supposedly protected the workers. And the members of the church of Smyrna, they wouldn't participate in the worship of that false god or goddess. And because of that, they didn't get to work. Now remember, this is back before welfare. And since they wouldn't worship that, those false gods, they, they didn't get to work. And because you didn't get to work, you didn't get paid. And if you didn't get paid, then you couldn't buy food. And if you couldn't buy food, then you were essentially going to starve to death. Can you see how if you refuse to participate in this false worship of these false gods, that they had some real negative consequences? Now today, maybe we get persecuted a little for our faith. But nothing like these believers. I mean, I've been slandered for my faith in Jesus. I've been made fun of. I've been the butt of some jokes. I've received some negative talk because of what I believe. I've received some harsh criticism because of my faith in Jesus and because I will not bend on this topic of morality. But I've never experienced anything like the believers in spirit of experience. There was a day I lost a job because of my faith in Jesus, but that only opened the door for me to go to seminary. And because of that, I'm, I'm your pastor today but nothing like the the, the believers in Smyrna faced. Now, I mention this because there's a teaching that's very popular today that just just doesn't line up with what Jesus says about the Christians in Smyrna. There's this teaching that says that if you love Jesus, if you have faith in Jesus, then everything's going to be amazing in this world. Just have faith in Jesus and your your pockets are going to be lined with gold. Just have faith in Jesus and you'll never be sick. Just have faith in Jesus and nothing bad will ever happen to you. The problem with this teaching is that it's a lie. If this prosperity preaching was accurate, why didn't Jesus say, Hey, Smyrna, 
I see your, your tribulation. I see your poverty. What you need is faith. Have more faith, Smyrna, and these bad things will go away. Jesus didn't say that because that's not true. Smyrna didn't need more faith. They're being persecuted because of their faith. Because if they would have caved to the critics in Smyrna, then their problems would have gone away. I guess it could be said that if Smyrna had less faith, then they'd have less poverty. They'd have less persecution. But Smyrna had faith, and so thus they had persecution. The prosperity gospel really took foot in this country in the early 20th century. This is back when a large majority of Americans were poor and they were sick. But since then, our country's come out of the Great Depression. And we're incredibly wealthy. We're incredibly healthy by most country standards. So today, most, most people in this country, we're not interested in wealth because we already have it. Most Americans aren't clawing for, for wealth and health because we're one of the wealthiest. We're one of the healthiest countries in the world. But you know what our country's lacking today? Today, we're lacking happiness. So there's a new prosperity gospel in this country that says, well, if you just come to Jesus, then he's going to make you happy. Come to Jesus and you're never going to have a bad day again. The pastor of the largest church in this country, he very much holds to this new prosperity gospel. And he once is quoted as saying, quote, to live your best life now, you must start looking at life through the eyes of faith. Seeing yourself rise to new levels. See your business taking off. See your marriages restore. See your family prospering. See your dreams come to pass. Just conceive it and believe it. It's possible and, it, and, and if you're ever hope to experience it. Just believe it and it's going to happen for you. I can see how this leads people astray because there's a sprinkling of truth in that lie. Yeah, that, it's easy to miss, but listen to what his wife, is, it was quoted as saying, she calls herself a pastor too. And just fair warning, this is even hard for me to say from the pulpit. I'm just quoting what she said. She said once, quote, I just want to encourage every one of us to realize that when we obey God, we're not doing it for God. I mean, that's one way of looking at it. We're doing it for ourselves because God takes pleasure when we're happy. That's the one thing that gives him the greatest joy this morning. So I just want you to know this morning, just do good for your own selves. Do good because God wants you to be happy. When you come to church, when you worship him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourselves because that's what makes God happy. Amen? <sighs> I think if the church at Smyrna heard that message, they would say that's one of the most insanely idiotic thing I've ever heard. At no point in her rambling, incoherent response was she even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone now is dumber for having listened to that. May God have mercy on her soul. Jesus never offers this wishy-washy, painless Christianity. Christianity is not as just walking from victory to victory to victory, just winning into everything we do. Let's be honest. Christianity is hard. If you're living the real Christian life, you're going to experience what Smyrna is experiencing. 
In Hebrews chapter 11, and we often refer to this as the hall of fame of faith. There are some of the names of the really who's who of of the Bible. Some, Some of the big names. There's names like Abraham, Moses, David, Samuel. There's a prostitute named Rahab. Some of the greats of of the faith. But there's these sentences that's buried in Hebrews chapter 11. I want to read it with you. Hebrews 11, beginning in the middle of verse 35. It says, some were tortured, refusing to accept release. So they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. If having faith in Christ made all the bad stuff go away, then we need to just tear Hebrews chapter 11 out of our Bible. Not just start with the, the 11th chapter, rip the whole book out because the Hebrew, what it says, the writer of Hebrews says, just doesn't jive with the prosperity gospel. Now listen to what Jesus says, Revelation chapter 2, verse 9. Jesus says, I know your tribulation and your poverty. I want you to know that Jesus knows. The sovereign God of the universe, he knows. So hopefully that's what we need to know. We need to know that he knows in order to not cave under the pressure that comes with having faith in Christ. Keep reading. The slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. It's been true for all of history. But whatever religious group is in the majority, they tend to prey upon those in the minority. Religious persecution isn't only regulated to Christianity. Really, every single uh, faith has experienced religious persecution. And historically, Christians have been on both ends, both the giving and receiving of religious persecution. It was the crusaders that were a very large, powerful, wealthy group of Christians that took back the land from the Muslims when they, when they conquered the Holy Land. The crusaders went there and took it back, and then they lost it again. It was back and forth then. It's going to be back and forth until Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom. Back during the time when John writes to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, much of the Christian persecution was coming at the hands of the Jews. Uh, The the Jews had the majority of the wealth in the area of this time. And so the Jews really thought they were doing the will of God by persecuting Christians. But they weren't. They're really being used by, like chess pawns doing the work of Satan by persecuting the Christians. It was the Jews that had the, the ears of the Roman Empire during that time. And so what they would do, they would circulate papers and reports and rumors that the Christians were up to no good. And so that upset the Roman Empire. And so thus persecution came to the Christians. We saw it back when, when Jesus had his run-ins with the powers of, uh, at B back in Jerusalem. Jesus was arrested unjustly, and he was taken through a series of false trials and ultimately to Pontius Pilate. And then Pilate, he could have released Jesus. He could have, but it is in Mark's gospel. It tells us, quote, so Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd. Do you hear that? Wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. When a group is in the majority, or excuse me, in the minority, that's when they tend to be quiet. But once that changes, they come into the majority, that's when persecution starts. There are two occasions in the Bible where homosexual behavior wasn't merely accepted, it was actually in the majority. 
meaning a large number of the, the men, they practice that sort of behavior. So if you want to read about it, you can read about it in Genesis chapter 19 with a man named Lot. He actually offered up his daughters when the men of the city wanted to know these angels that came to save Lot. And just so there's no wondering about this, the word know is yada in the Hebrew, and it means to know intimately. It means exactly what you think it means. The other time is found in Judges chapter 19. It's easy to remember Genesis 19, Judges 19. Well, in Judges 19, there's a Levite that goes to the town of Gibeah with his wife, and the men in the town wanted to know him. They wanted to yada him. And when they wouldn't take a no for the answer, the Levite offers up his wife, and it's probably the most horrific uh, scene anywhere in the Bible. My point is that's what happens when any group, uh, religious or, or other, becomes in the majority. There was a time when, when the Apostle John, he, by the time he's writing the book of Revelation, there's a guy who is the, the, the pastor of the church of Smyrna by the name of Polycarp. He's actually a disciple of, of the Apostle John. Well, church history tells us that Polycarp was persecuted terribly for his faith in Christ. And I believe it's very likely that he was the recipient of the letter that we're studying today when John writes the church at Smyrna. But church history tells us in 126 AD that Polycarp had to flee the, the city of Smyrna to escape persecution. And again, I'm sure that if he read the letter that, that John is writing here, it was an awesome comfort for him to know that Jesus knows what he's going through. When February 126 AD, Polycarp, he flees the city of Smyrna. He had to get out while the getting was good because there's some guys coming that wanted to kill him. So he fled, but they eventually caught him. They bring him back to the city of Smyrna, and they brought him to this amphitheater, and there's this mass of onlookers looking at him, and they're asking him to denounce Christ. They're saying, say Caesar is Lord, and Jesus is not. Church history tells us the Polycarp said, quote, 86 years I have served him, and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? They kept trying to force Polycarp to swear to Caesar, but Polycarp only responded, quote, If you vainly suppose that I will swear by the divine power of Caesar, as you say, and if you pretend that you do not know who I am, listen plainly. I am a Christian, and if you wish to learn the Christian message, arrange a meeting, and I will give you a hearing. Polycarp was then threatened with wild animals and being burned alive. And Polycarp said, quote, you threaten with fire that burns for a short time and soon is quenched. You do not know about the fire that's coming, judgment and eternal punishment that awaits the wicked. But what are you waiting for? Do as you wish. And with that, Polycarp was burned alive and stabbed to death for refusing to call Caesar as Lord. And again, I have to believe that, see, that Polycarp remembered the words of Jesus. That Jesus knew everything he was going through. Keep reading. Revelation 2, verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Don't miss the fact that Jesus doesn't offer a solution to their pain. 
Jesus doesn't say, hey, I'm going to stop all this, all this persecution, all this stuff. It's all going to end and you can just have a carefree life. Jesus doesn't say that because Jesus doesn't offer that. What Jesus actually says is, I know what you're going through and it's about to get worse. You're going to be put in prison. You're going to face death. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, I know things are bad, but things are going to get worse. I mean, think about this. If the Christians in Smyrna, if they would have changed their tune, if they would have changed what they said they believed, they would have changed their outcome. If they would have just told the unbelievers in Smyrna, if they would have said, you know what, you're right, we're wrong. I know we used to say that Jesus is God, we changed our minds. Jesus isn't God, but Zeus, Apollo, Artemis, you name the God, they're God, Jesus is not. If they would have said that, the the city of Smyrna would have said, hey, great Christians, we have no problem with you. We can all get along now. Life's going to be easier. Skip all the persecution, lose their witness for Jesus. They would make some money in the marketplace. Life would be comfortable. But where's the witness in that? If we turn in our Bibles and went to John chapter 9, you'd read about a guy who was blind since birth. And again, there's, there's no welfare system. So every day, some his friends had to pick him up, carry him to the temple mount, and he would sit there and beg for money. And people, as they're going to the temple, would probably drop some money in a plate or a cup as they were going to worship. And then there's a day that Jesus shows up. And just ask him, hey, do you want to see? And the guy said, yes. And so he, he takes some clay, he spits in it, makes some mud and rubs it on the guy's eyes and then tells him, hey, go to the pool of Shalom and wash there. And so then what happens, the guy has to get up and leave the gate beautiful that's up on the Temple Mount and go travel down to the pool of Shalom, which is hundreds of yards away down this very steep path. You know why I think Jesus made him walk the way? Why didn't Jesus just give him eyes right there? Why did he make him make that trip? I think it's so everybody would see him. He would see him because there's the, the, on that path, there would have been hundreds of people going between the pool to the temple and back and forth. People would see this guy groping his way along the path, feeling his way, trying to get to that pool. I mean, and then he washes and he can see. I mean, what a testimony. And then if you know the story, then the Pharisees wanted to know what happened. And so then they bring the guy's parents in. They question his parents. And the parents say, well, he's an adult. Ask him for yourself. So they bring the guy in. They ask him over and over and over again. Then the guy wouldn't recant his testimony. He just kept saying, all I know is there was a man. I was blind, but now I can see. That's what he says. Think about this. If that formerly blind guy would have said, you know what, I made it all up. Every day I went to the temple, I sat there, I was begging like I was blind. I really could see, but I just didn't want to work. I was lazy. I'm sorry, it won't happen again. You know what happened to him? The Pharisees would have left him alone. The, he, he got new eyes. Jesus gets no glory, and he, he's lost his testimony. I don't think so. I want you to know that God allows us to go through some terrible stuff so that we will not, so we will fear not. And when we fear not, Jesus gets the glory. Jesus allows terrible things to happen to his followers so that we don't bend, we don't crater, we don't cave through the trial. He carries us through 
and he gets the glory. I want you to know that Jesus sympathizes with us through our pain, not only because he's sympathetic, but ultimately he knows exactly what we're going through. He's experienced every sort of pain imaginable and more. Personally, I don't know the suffering and pain that Jesus tells the church at Smyrna that's coming their way. I mean, I've been called names on social media. I've been blocked on social media by people who said they were my friends. Big deal. I've had people in our own town spread rumors, slander me personally. But in the big picture, that's really nothing. Did I like it? No, I didn't. But I've never spent a moment in prison. I've never faced death due to my faith in Christ. But God allows us to go through some terrible events so that he gets to carry us through and he gets the glory. What we need to do is we need to trust God during our times of pain. What the devil wants us to do, he wants us to isolate ourselves. Because that's what we naturally want to do. When we go through something bad, we want to isolate ourselves and just not to be around people because after all, time heals all wounds, right? No, it doesn't. Sometimes our wounds only fester and get worse over time. But when you're a believer and you're around other believers and you allow them to comfort you, to be there for you, to care for you, then we get through then things to get better. When, they, when we get through things like that and we've gotten better because some other Christians have carried us through, you know what we should do? Go find somebody else that's going through what we just got through and be there for them. I want, you to, I want us to know that we don't know this level of persecution in this country that Jesus is talking about yet. We don't know it yet, but I promise you it is coming and we, we come together, I've heard people say this around here, this says, well, that might happen in some crazy place like California, but it'll never happen here in Wyoming. And if you believe that, please pull your head out of the sand. We may never face persecution like they did in Smyrna, but I promise you there's coming a day when we will be censored and, and or fined for preaching a message like the one I'm preaching today. It will soon become illegal to say homosexuality is a sin. It will soon become illegal to say that little boys are little boys and little girls are little girls. There's only two sexes. Soon that will become illegal. It will become illegal to say that and again, punishable upon fine and or punishment. And this is what's going to happen. Churches that preach this message are going to lose their tax exempt status for preaching that. So I ask you, will you continue to give to your local church knowing there's going to come a day when your tax deduction is being taken away from you because you give to an organization that preaches something that's deemed hate speech? And please don't say it's not going to happen here because you're lying to yourself if you think it's not going to happen here. There was a man by the name of Ralph Erskine. He said, quote, Faith without trouble or fighting is suspicious faith, for true faith is a fighting, wrestling faith. The Apostle Paul said, I am acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort in all your afflictions. I'm overflowing with joy. Let us suppose that the Christian church in our culture decided to stand up and said, enough, enough of this. What if we say, hey, we're not only going to live biblically, but we're going to call out sin where sin is. What if we're bold for Christ and we say, you know what? Jesus is the only way to heaven. 
He's not a way, he is the only way. What will be the results? I'll tell you what the results will be. You'll be called narrow-minded, unloving bigots for saying that. In other words, the church is it's gonna find itself on the outside of the world. In Luke 6, 26, Jesus said, beware if the world speaks well of you. Now, I'm not suggesting that we go and preach a message like some do that's just totally void of love and then so that we get persecuted. Don't be that Christian nut that's just running around throwing um, Jesus in someone's faith in order to tick them off. Don't do that. But we should be persecuted for righteousness sake, not for being a jerk. There's a gal by the name of Joni Erickson Tata. If you don't know who she is, you should know who she is. Years ago, I think she was 17 years old, something like that, she dove into a lake head first, broke her neck, and become a, she became a quadriplegic. She said, quote, the way you and I handle the big and little trials makes the world pause in its frantic and headlong pursuits. Our godly response to these obstacles and perplexities in our lives literally kicks the psychological crutches right out from underneath the skeptic. The unbeliever can no longer refuse to face the reality of our faith. So when Jesus consoles the persecuted church by saying, first of all, I know what you're going through. That's what Jesus says to the, Smyrna, the believers in Smyrna. And remember back in Revelation chapter 1, John has already told us about, how, about the resurrected Savior, Jesus, how he has flaming eyes, meaning he sees it all. When we go through persecution, Jesus sees it. He knows it. And Jesus also said, fear not. I am the first and the last, the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. I had the keys to death and Hades. I find it interesting that Jesus tells the church that's being persecuted to death that he was dead and now he's alive. I think what Jesus is saying is, been there, done that. He's saying, I know what you're going through. Read Revelation 2, the middle of verse 10 again. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Be faithful unto death. Jesus says that's what those who follow him should be willing to do. Be faithful unto death. And here's the promise. Here's the payoff. This is why we should do that. Jesus says, and I will give you the crown of life. The word crown there that Jesus used is the Greek word stephanos. This is a crown that is given for women winning an athletic event. This is what Jesus is saying here. He's saying this is not a free gift like salvation. He's saying this is reward for something you do. Salvation is a passive gift that we get when we place faith in Jesus. That's not what's going on here. This reward is something that we earn. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that the believer that earns the crown of life, they have far more waiting for them in heaven. Some believers are going to go to heaven. They're going to go to, avoid hell, and that's it. But there's other believers that have more coming their way, and it's going to be based off the suffering that they're willing to suffer if for Jesus. Charles Spurgeon said about this, he said, quote, There are no crown wearers in heaven who were not cross bearers here below. 
Here's what I think Jesus wants us to know when it comes to this crown. He wants us to know that the kingdom of God that is coming, the, the believers that are there for all eternity, they're going to have, they're gonna have the, the, those that are willing to accept persecution, those that don't practice sin, uh, the, the sin of silence, but they call out sin and they're persecuted before that, they have more waiting for them in heaven than others. The, the ones that are they're given the crown, they're going to experience eternality to its fullest. Now, we can't manage what comes our way in this life. We can't manage what comes our way, but we can manage how we react to what comes our way. God is sovereign, and he allows what he allows, but how we react to what we, he allows is totally under our control. And how you react to what he allows will play a part in what eternity looks like for you. I have heard good-meaning, Bible-believing Christians say stuff like, well, I'm just happy I'm going to heaven. And there's part of that we're trying to be humble, but at the same time, they're just being lazy. Happy to be in heaven for all eternity, forgiven for their sins, and none of us did anything to earn that. We don't, but our standing in kingdom will be based off what you do for God in this life. Do I need to remind you that we're still looking for nursery volunteers? Hmm, seems equitable, right? Smyrna's willing to die for their faith in Christ, and we're fighting to get nursery volunteers. Anyways, this is what I want you to know. You're standing in the kingdom of God for all eternity. If you're a believer, it's your call. You will determine where you are in the eternal God, kingdom of God forever. Now, he determines there or not if you get there, Right? But what you do now will determine what the kingdom looks like for you for all eternity. So will you stand up and will you preach the gospel to your family and suffer whatever comes your way? Will you stand up where you work, preach the gospel and take whatever comes your way? Will you stand up to the government, stand firm for what you believe, preach the gospel and take, and and take whatever comes your way? Now do this out of love but it's your call. Your eternity is going to be based off of this. This is what it boils down to. Crowns or no crowns. It's your call. If you don't speak up, life's going to be comfortable for you, but you're not going to be receiving any crowns. Crowns are only be given by Jesus to believers who take risk. To those who embrace pain, who risk for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom. Crowns are only coming to those who truly believe it when Jesus says you must die to self. Because if you really embrace this die to self mentality, you will embrace the cross and suffer for the sake of Christ. Like the church in Smyrna did. And to understand this risk, it's all about what you're willing to endure. I heard a story of a couple that... They wanted to see this mountaintop. They heard about how beautiful it is at the top of this mountain. So they got in their car and they drove to the base of this mountain. And they got out of their car and there's this large parking lot. I, I picture something like West Ten Sleep, Lake, Ten Sleep Lake. If you've never been there, it's beautiful. I've been there. But you know how I got there? My car did all the work. I, I drove there. I get there. There's a parking lot and I get out and there's tons of people. And it's absolutely gorgeous. But in this story, this couple, they wanted to see more. And so they began to hike higher and higher, steeper and steeper up the trail. And eventually, they got to another spot. 
And it was even more beautiful than the one before. There was less people because how hard it was to get there. But, but it, was, it was so beautiful. But they still wanted more. So up the trail they went higher and higher, steeper and steeper. It's getting tough to hike and eventually got hard to breathe because of the elevation they were climbing. But they noticed there's even fewer people than there was before. But it isn't more beautiful than, they, than they, it was down below. But they still wanted more. So they kept hiking higher and higher, steeper and steeper. And near the top of the peak, there was a bridge that went out onto this cliff. And around there, there was, there was the waterfall. And like nobody was willing to go out on that bridge because it didn't look like it, was, it could support their weight. But this couple wanted to see it. So they walked out on that bridge and they got there. And it was even more beautiful than they could possibly imagine. Their lungs were burning because of the climb. It, it was just breathtaking. It was worth everything that they were willing to give to get there. I want you to know that's the picture of the Christian life. Are you willing to settle for average? Or are you willing to trade comfort for a crown of life in the next life? It's up to you. Salvation is a free gift when you place faith in Jesus Christ. But the crown of life will cost you your comfort in this life. Are you willing to trade comfort in this life for a crown of life in the eternity in the next life? It's your choice. Now I said salvation is a free gift and it is. But you have to be willing to accept the free gift that Jesus offers for those that call in his name. So you must recognize that you're a sinner and your sin, you and I are both sinners. It's only really good to you. I'm a sinner too. And our sin, it separates us from God. But there must come a moment in time when you repent to your sins, turn from your sins, and turn to Christ in faith. And the Bible says, whoever calls on the name, they will be saved. Have you called on the name of Jesus? Have you recognized your sinfulness? Turn from your wicked ways and turn to Christ. Most people, it happens through a prayer. To say, God, I am a sinner. But you love me. Rescue me from my sins. I give you my life. And I say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.